Welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. Passover meal was over. It was late. And Jesus and his followers, Jesus and his disciples, went to Gethsemane. Gethsemane was an olive grove at the foot of the Mount of Olives, located in the valley across from Jerusalem. The name Gethsemane comes from a Hebrew word meaning olive press. And this was a familiar place. Jesus and his disciples had gathered here before. When they arrive, Jesus tells them, sit, sit so that he could pray. But he did not go off alone to pray as he usually did. He took three with him, Peter, James, and John. These three were the first of his followers, fishermen he called by the sea. They had been with Jesus for three years, sitting under his teaching, witnessing his miracles. These three formed an inner circle of the 12 disciples. They were the only disciples with Jesus when he raised the dead. The young daughter of one synagogue ruler named Jairus. They were the only disciples with Jesus when he was on the mountaintop, where he was transfigured, his divine glory shining forth. On the mountain, these three heard the Father speak, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. On the mountain, these three saw Moses and Elijah standing with Jesus. James and John had asked Jesus if they could sit at his right and left hand when he came into glory. Peter told Jesus that he would never deny him, though all the others would deny him. He would never deny him. Well, Jesus wanted these three to be with him, to be near, to watch, to wait while he prayed. He desired their companionship. He desired their presence. He desired their support. Why? because Jesus was struggling. He was greatly distressed. And the the Greek word used here for distress gives a sense of alarm, a sense of shock, fear. He was troubled, troubled in his heart, troubled in his soul, so much so that he tells Peter and James and John, my soul is very sorrowful. These words echo our Old Testament reading from the Psalms. The Psalms are songs, prayers, spirit-inspired, spirit-breathed songs and prayers. The, The Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. Along with the Lord's Prayer, they teach you how to pray. They teach the language of prayer, and they're honest, honest to God, honest. Psalm 42 and 43 are related. Psalm 42 and 43 are connected. The the prayer in these psalms is one that reveals struggle, turmoil, distress. And the same refrain is in both. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? My 
soul is very sorrowful. Now, the, the, the Greek word used here for sorrowful means overwhelmed with sorrow, burdened with grief, grief stretched to the limit. Have you ever found yourself there? Has that ever been you? Distressed, shocked, troubled, overwhelmed with sorrow, burdened with grief, stretched to the limit, wanting it to end, but not knowing how, waiting for the morning to come, but wanting it all to be a dream, feeling alone, desiring company. Well, Jesus has been there too. He knows. He knows your struggles. He knows your fear. He knows your grief. He knows your sorrow. He knows your distress. He knows exactly what you're going through because he experienced it. He went through it. He understands. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. His sorrow was to death, unto death, his death. Why? Why is Jesus so tormented by the prospect of his death? After all, he predicted it three times he told his disciples. He knew the road to Jerusalem was the road to his death. So, so why does he tremble so now as he stands at the edge? Have not others faced death with more courage? Or at least resignation? And didn't the Greek philosopher Socrates consider death a friend, an emancipator? Well, yes. But Jesus is facing something more than his own mortality, something greater than his own death. Earlier in Mark, Jesus described his death as a ransom for many. Chapter 10, verse 45 of Mark says this, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Ransom is money paid for release. And you need release because you are captive. You're enslaved. The world is captive, enslaved to sin. Now, sin is when you disobey God. Sin is when you fail to love, but sin is also a power. Sin is also a force. It's an authority that's outside of you. It's a power, a force, an authority that crouches at your door, the door of your heart. And you're captive to it. The world is captive to it. And the evidence for it, the evidence for this captivity is death. Death follows sin. Death is a result of sin. But God uses death to undo it. God uses death to break its power. Jesus' death is a ransom, a payment. He gives his life as a payment, a payment for release from sin. Jesus was sinless. He never sinned. Therefore, death was not his end, but he offers to take your place, become your substitute, give his life for you, die for you, for the world. And upon him is laid the iniquity of us all. 
Now, it's one thing to consider standing in the presence of a holy God and answering for your own sin, your own individual sin. It's quite another to stand before a holy God answering for the sin of the world. Every act of disobedience, every act of evil, every word spoken in anger, every word spoken in derision, every thought, whether fleeting or entertained, of malice or lust or greed, and to bear God's wrath for it. Bear God's punishment for it. That's what Jesus faced. It wasn't simply his own death. And so that's why his soul was cast down. That's why his soul was in turmoil. That's why he was sorrowful, even unto death. Then Jesus prays. He falls to the ground to pray. He bows his face to the ground to pray. He prays in supplication. He prays in distress. And this is one of the rare instances when we hear Jesus pray. Listen again to his words, his prayer from verse 36. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Jesus prays to his Father. Abba is Aramaic for father. It's a title of trust. It's a title of affection. It's a title of warmth. Addressing God as Abba was not characteristic of Jewish prayers. Rabbis, teachers, scribes did not address God as father. It was too intimate, too simple, too audacious. Well, Jesus prays that the father would take the cup from him, the cup of suffering, the cup of judgment, wrath, cup of death. He he prays that there might be another way. He prays that there might be another path, another road, because all things are possible with God. Well, this brief prayer shows the two natures of Jesus, reveals the two natures of Jesus, the divine and the human. For Jesus is fully divine. He's fully God. And Jesus is fully human, just like you. He's both. Two natures in one person. When the year 451, the Council of Chalcedon, a council of the church, gathered to address questions about the two natures of Jesus. This gathering, this council, was one of the most important in the history of the church. And they gathered together because there were those who taught that Jesus only had one nature. They taught that, essentially, that Jesus was a deified human or a humanized deity. Now, the problem with this was that it denied the full humanity of Jesus. So based on scripture, the council stated that Jesus had two distinct natures, divine and human, and that they are, and this is a quote, they are without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. They're not blended together. They're distinct. But you also can't take them apart. Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane shows both. He is divine. He's fully God. As the eternal son, he prays to his eternal father. 
He's human. He's fully man. In distress, in sorrow, he prays that the cup be taken from him. He struggles. He's, He's tempted. But he ends the prayer with these words, yet not what I will, but what you will. He asks for another way, but he submits to his father's will. He asks for another way, but he desires that his father's will be done. He accepts the cup. He meets the hour. He embraces the cross. A ransom for you. So are you free? Truly free? Or are you still captive? Are you enslaved to sin? Well, Jesus died to release you. He gave his life to free you. He paid your ransom. He paid your debt. Is he your savior? Be free. And like him, like him, when you struggle, when you're faced with turmoil, distress, sorrow, fear, grief, when you are stretched to the limit, pray. Pray. Turn to your father and pray. Pray like Jesus. Pray like the Psalms, honest to God. And ask, ask your father. Because through Jesus, you can pray with the same intimacy. Through Jesus, you can pray with the same boldness. Abba. Ask that your cup be removed. Because for him, all things are possible. But just like Jesus, submit to his will. Submit to his perfect will. Place your will under the Father's will in obedience, in faith, knowing that his will for you is love. Because you're his child. You're in his hands. Whatever he wills for you as his child is for your good. Well, Jesus prayed. Then he went to his disciples. Jesus prayed. Then he went to his friends. He had told them to watch, to watch and wait, to be there for him. But how did he find them? He found them asleep. When he needed them, they were asleep. And so he wakes them. Simon, are you asleep? Notice he doesn't call him Peter. Peter is the name Jesus gave him, a name that means rock, but he's not really living up to his name here in Gethsemane. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit's willing. They want to watch. They want to wait. They want to listen to Jesus, but the flesh is weak. Overcome by the hour, overcome by the meal, overcome by the wine, they slumber, they give into temptation, and they sleep. And it happens three times, not once, three times. Jesus prays, and the disciples' eyes are so heavy, they can't keep them open. They sleep. Jesus wakes them. They don't, want to, they don't know what to say. They don't know how to answer him. He goes to pray. They sleep. Three times. If you're like me, you want to shake your head at Peter and James and John. How could they? They're with Jesus. He asked them to watch. He asked them to wait. They sleep. Three times. 
But the truth is, we're no different. The truth of Jesus's words for them applies to you, to me. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. You, you want to follow Jesus. You want to walk in his way, walk in obedience, walk in the light, walk in love. But the flesh is weak and you're tempted. And you're tempted. Instead of walking in his way, you're tempted to stop, sleep, or take off in another direction entirely. Jesus says, watch and pray. Pray that you won't enter into temptation. Pray that you'll be faithful. Pray that your, that your flesh is strengthened. Pray that you won't sleep. Pray that you keep your eyes on Jesus. Pray. The disciples sleep. And the third time Jesus wakes them, he says, enough. Exasperated, he says, enough. Rise, let us be going. His hour is at hand. The betrayer comes. He begins to drink the cup because the cross awaits. And through it, you are free. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 